Well, good morning, church. Yeah, when uh, we were settling on dates, Jordan uh, said, okay, here's the passage for this date. Um, Look it over and tell me you're okay with it. And I said, oh, you had me at the scum of all things. Yeah, Yeah, so um, this is a a different passage we find in the Bible. Um, But here at the journey, um, as it was said last week, uh, God is our authority, and so... God in his revelation, this is scripture, this is, this is the authority here. So, so we walk through books of the Bible, and in doing so, God leads the church. And this is just one way that God leads the church. Um, but, but we do practice expository preaching, where we just expose what the Bible has to say. So, with that being said, today in our passage, man, the, the education ministry in Corinth is just like, blowing up. And Paul has a bit of a concern with the the leadership and the pastors and the teachers here. And this wouldn't really just be a a message that you would just, you know, kind of uh, pick out and like, oh, I'm going to preach on this. But um, man, as it comes up in the Bible, we preach through it. So in Corinth, one thing I want to remind you of is, is they hold a high view of knowledge. And they hold a high view of being able to convey knowledge. And so... They're holding a high view of gifted speakers, really. So there was this local arena in Corinth, um, something like a town hall or a gathering or a TED Talk. And actually, if I were to compare it to today, it'd be much like the motivational speaker boom we see today. People who are very interesting people, people who are profoundly gifted in speaking and engaging others, um, they're hoping to, to gain followers. They're hoping to gain popularity, and they're hoping to gain influence here in Corinth. So when the church sprang up, um, a new arena came up. There's new opportunity for people who didn't have followers. And so a vacancy came up, and there were plenty of people who wanted to fill this. In fact, still today, there are plenty of people today who are out to get glory for popularity, for status, and trying to gain a platform. And Paul basically says, woe to you. So their concern here at Corinth has shifted from personal holiness and godliness to drawing a crowd. And so, divisions have sprung up in the church. Um, Little cliques, have developed, and they've started pitting each other, pitting little whatever this clique says against the other one, and divisions have sprung up. And over the past few weeks, we've been going through these divisions. But one sign of the local church should be unity. And at the root of these divisions, I believe what we see is, is pride and arrogant superiority. And I believe what we're going to find in this passage here today, um, Paul is exposing the pastors and the leaders in Corinth. Paul is exposing their leadership for letting the culture influence them more than the gospel. In doing so, we see how leadership is to be exercised in the church. And we see how pastors and leaders should view the people of the church. Because Leadership in the church in Corinth sees authority as a way to use people. 
compared to Jesus' view of authority as a way to serve people. And in the kingdom, leaders are first servants. And Paul is going to describe himself like a father. Partly because of his history with this church, he helped plant this church and the relationships that he has in this church with the people there. And he calls them to imitate him, essentially as a child would a parent. And this story actually reminds me of a story um, kind of similar that was in the news recently. So there was this uh, running back from the Oklahoma, or no, Oakland Raiders. It's Josh Jacobs was his name. And recently, it was in the news that he had purchased, or maybe not in the news, it was on ESPN, that's my news. <laughs> yeah, so you might not have heard this, so that just kind of hit me right now. Um, yeah, so recently it was in my news uh, that Josh purchased a house for his dad. And the story's unique because when Josh was six or seven years old, <clears throat> His father was in a custody battle of him and his four, four other siblings. And in the middle of the custody battle, Josh decided to go live with his dad. But what he found was um, the two spent a week sleeping together in his dad's Chevy Suburban um, while, the, while the custody battle dragged on. Um, his father was granted custody of him and his four siblings. And then they all slept together in the Chevy Suburban the next few months in and out of motels and nights in the van until they finally found a place to stay. And uh, what Josh said was, I remember seeing him not sleep. It's crazy because I didn't notice that I was sleeping in a car. I just thought I was falling asleep and waking up. I didn't think anything about it because I felt safe. He would just drive around until he found a place to sleep, and then I'd get up the next, get, get up the next day and go to school. So when Josh ended his first NFL season, he rewarded his father with a house. And I believe this is the heart of what God is saying to pastors and leaders of the local church. And it's how they should see their people. It's a heart that says, I'll go without sleep so that you may sleep. I will go without food so that you may eat. In the church, you will feel safe because you have overseers looking after you like a father does a son. Man, so as we begin this passage, let's note, Paul is not trying to draw a crowd. Paul is not trying to be liked. Paul is not trying to tickle ears. If he was, he wouldn't be having this conversation. So look with me in verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share rule with you. What Paul is exercising here is what we like to call sarcasm. <laughs> and it was funny because Jordan and I were looking like in commentaries and like, we're like, what is this? They're calling it all these fancy names. It's just like, it's just sarcasm. So it's here we see our first fatherly mark of how pastors should see their people. And that is with a readiness to confront sin. It's a readiness to have a hard conversation. And this is not the way to make yourself popular. Um, this is not the way to make yourself the most known person in town. But this is the way to faithfully follow Jesus. 
And no, 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 before you like, start applying this too quickly, like, no, I'm not calling you to confront all the sin in your workplace this week. But don't look past this. Jesus says in Matthew 7, First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. Jesus doesn't forbid all evaluation, like this thing we have in our culture where they just run to, oh, Jesus says, judge not. Well, I mean, if you read your Bible and you pay attention and you don't cherry pick verses, this is not what Jesus says. Jesus does not forbid all evaluation or even judgment of others. For ultimately, the one who feels grieved and humbled over their own sin can then see to help remove the speck from others. But what, does, what Jesus does rule out is he rules out that we see each other as superior to the other. Jesus rules out the pride that one views themselves better than another. <clears throat> so really, if a pastor is loving, he will speak of sin and he will confront sin first because of the gospel. As the, the Puritan Thomas Watson wrote, until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Because the first and the foremost part of the gospel is it is bad news before it could ever be good news. The reality of the gospel says that every person has taken part in sin, and this sin has separated them from God. And this is really bad news because you were made to be together with God. And just as, as sin is spelled, it, it has I in the middle of it. Because you see, it's, it's, it's your sin that has separated you from God. And that is the bad news. But the good news is God left his throne. The good news is that God didn't leave us in that state. The good news is that God came to earth to enter into our mess, to enter into our brokenness. And he became like us in every way, but he was without sin. The good news is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like you and me. And all who believe on this Jesus are set free from this penalty of sin and welcomed into the family of God by sheer undeserving grace. So sin must be called out. Sin must be called sin. And it must be turned from. It must be turned from to pursue this Jesus. And we won't waver here on that. And it's with this understanding that we will continue in this passage on to verse 9. Where he says, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you, you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you, you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. <clears throat> so what we see beginning to develop 
is a compare and contrast. What we see is a comparison of the leaders in Corinth in contrast with the apostles. And we, when, when Paul does that, we see this huge flaw developing. And it helped me to actually put it into a table, I think, just as this. <clears throat> so I'll continue. Verse 11. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed, buffeted, and homeless. And we labor, working with our hands. So in correction, I mean, just every piece is compared in contrast. So in correction, Paul says, you think way too highly of yourselves. You see, a place, that Jesus is, a place in Jesus' family is a place of serving others first. It's not a place where we get our self-worth out of others. A place in Jesus' family is where we serve others first, and not a place where we get our self-worth out of others. How the Corinthians view leadership in the church reminds me of a movie that I once saw. It's since been re-released, and it wasn't as good. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, but the, the characters, the main character, um, his name is Simba. And uh, when he was a, a young, immature lion cub, um, he sings this one song, and you might know it. Um, if you know it, you can sing it with me. He says, Oh, I just can't wait to be king. <clears throat> you see, but, but the reason why he can't wait to be king is because when he becomes king, he won't have to listen to anybody else. When he becomes king, he won't have to be under anyone else's authority. And when he becomes king, the spotlight's then going to be on him. And similarly, similarly, the Corinthians view leadership like this. They view it as a seat in the hierarchy where authority ascribes more value. And heaven forbid that we can see leadership like this as a place to be served, to make my ideas or my fame known. I mean, Paul's already said, God's given the gifts, so why would you boast in these gifts that God has given you? The gifts are to, to give glory to God. So in the, in the kingdom of God and in the local church, a right view of leadership and authority is not an ascension. The right view of leadership is a descension. Where leaders then, in descension, lift others up. Where pastors and leaders are not to be viewed as heroes but they're ones who have been transformed by a hero. And they then turn and point others to that hero. And his name is Jesus. They are to serve the church and build the church up. In understanding this dissension of leadership, pastors and leaders, we see our second fatherly mark of how pastors should see their people 
and that is with a readiness to endure. And this is a readiness to sacrifice for others. I see it at the end of verse 12. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. And yes, Paul might be making his point extra clear. It's kind of like everybody's got that grandpa who, who walked to school uphill both ways. But this is true. Paul really did walk to school uphill both ways. And he's not trying to make much of himself in this. He's, he's trying to show them that's not how you lead. If you could bring that graphic back up the table. So these are the, the bruises and afflictions of the apostles. And I first want to like, just remind you, like, Paul says like, this is the reality. Um, and these aren't things that we pursue. But in pursuit of Jesus... Paul just lets us know, like, this will come. He's saying that these are the marks and the scars that we hold as apostles. And God has made known to us that this is for our good. So we know that leadership involves a, a position of endurance and sacrifice. And this readiness to endure is a, it's a part of this upside-down kingdom um, we've been talking about where Jesus says, oh, you, you want to be first, huh? It's the last that will be first, and the first will be last. Because a, a disciple of Jesus should not measure his or her worth by comparing it with the other people around them. It should not... A disciple of Jesus does not measure their worth by seeing others sacrifice and saying, oh, well, I mean, they sacrifice more, or, or they've accomplished more, or I've accomplished more. No, no, a, a disciple of Jesus focuses on serving from a heart of gratitude in response to God's grace to them. Leadership and the offices of leadership are not a place for, for people to build identity. They're a place to help others build their identities on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're a place where you share how others may find their identity where Jesus did this on the cross for you. And then you may help others, and they may help others, and they may help others. And this is the way. And what really explains this readiness to continue to endure, to counsel, to instruct, to correct, is seen through what kind of relationship um, Paul, Paul gives in verse 14 and 15. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. Paul knows that the, the human reaction, the gut punch reaction when confronted with our sin is to pull back. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden when they bit the apple, they then realized they were naked and they were ashamed. 
and they heard God, and they went and hid. Like, it's, it's been this way since the fall. But like we said earlier, a good, loving father will call you out of sin and into Christ. And he continues, 14, But to admonish you as my beloved children, for though you have countless guides in Christ, and N.T. Wright actually trans- translates that, is you have countless babysitters there in Corinth. You do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It's in the relationship of a father to his children, of a pastor to his people, of Paul to his people in Corinth, like the story of Josh Jacobs and his dad. The father will endure for his children. And this is how a pastor should view and care for his people. But this is also what is good for the people. This is what's good for us. Just as a father displays how to be a man to his son, when reviled, he will bless. When persecuted, he will endure. When slandered, he will entreat. So he walks the walk and he talks the talk. And by walking the walk and talking the talk, we see our third fatherly mark of how pastors should see their people, and that is with a readiness to invest in others. It's the main point of this passage in, <clears throat> in verse 16. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So you, you won't find this in a church growth booklet. Um, you won't find this as the five quickest ways to grow a church. You buy something off the internet. like you, you won't find this in there. But it is the most faithful ways to make disciples in the church. So here, I know with a journey, when you need to speak with a pastor, you can just throw out of your vocabulary the caveat of, I know you're busy, but um, like the, you can just throw that out of the vocabulary and just say, hey, I need to see you, or hey, I, I need to talk. And we've actually got, like, regular ways, texting. Because if a pastor is too busy for his people, then he really needs to find a new job. So you actually have my permission this week now to just bombard your pastors. (laughs) Sorry. And if this isn't abundantly clear, I just want to keep nailing the head Pastors are not to see their people as followers or to see them as just trying to develop an audience, but as as a fatherly relationship where they invest in others to see them invest in others. And this is like clear of fatherhood and motherhood in in Proverbs. It's, It's that we raise our children up so that they can become our peers. He says, In verse 17, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. Yes, it took Paul a lot of time to invest in Timothy. It took effort, and it will not 
get your name plastered on any billboard, on any website. But it will give you rewards in the kingdom to come. Like when, when people don't hear about it, God hears about it. Like, there's so much here in this Bible that, that speaks of rewards. And the thing that, that the Corinthians have done is they've said, oh, let's bring these re- rewards like, into life now. And we're about, to, we're about to hit on that. It takes time. It takes effort. And sometimes we are prone, I am prone to think, this is hard. Is this even worth it? But it is so worth it. It is so worth seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. It is so worth seeing new generations bearing up the cross as their only hope in life and taking that not only to their neighbor, but to the ends of the earth. This is the great commission of the church. It's given by Jesus to his church, and that is to you. And it is to go and make disciples of all nations. So this is a call to you today. If you are not involved in any sort of familial relationship inside a local church, this is a call for you, where you can imitate a follower of Christ who's just been there longer than you have, who's followed him longer than you have. And I want to urge you, come and follow Christ in his ways. Because here at The Journey, we have what's called community groups. And if you're not a part of them, there's plenty of information out there. Bombard Anthony, wherever he is, feel free to bombard him. But there is plenty of ways to plug into these kinds of relationships here at The Journey. There's a a lunch next week. Mark it on your calendar. So if following Christ is your goal, if following Christ is our goal, he has made it so that these relationships would happen in the context of the local church. And this is who we are, and this is who we long to be here, is just a family. And it's only natural for children to emulate their parents. And we call this discipleship. And as we conclude this section, Paul says in verse 18, I will say that Paul says, man, look, there's some jokers among you who think that when I come back, there won't be hell to pay. And these jokers are still around today. One way they're still around is what's called the prosperity gospel. There's these jokers out there that will tell you, man, if you send me a $500 seed, God will then bless you. That way I can buy me a new jet. And let me tell you, on that day, there will be hell to pay. Because this is not the gospel. This is manipulation. This is called a charlatan. And I didn't want to say names, but 
Kenneth Copeland, Joel Osteen, T.D. Jakes, like, do not believe these people. They say stuff like, you just need more faith for your prayer to come true. And that's clearly not true. Jesus says you need the faith of a mustard seed to move a mountain. Because the one place you won't hear this prosperity gospel preached is at a hospital. It offers no hope to those who are hurting. On the contrary, on the contrary, the gospel offers hope to all who hear it. The gospel offers hope because God can save to the outermost parts. The gospel offers hope because if you came in here with with an addiction, if you came in here with self-righteousness, if you came in here with with sexual immorality, if you came in here with you name it, God can conquer your sin. The Lord Jesus can save anywhere, any place, any time. You name it. And God verifies Paul's witness by people receiving Jesus through the gospel and living transformed lives by the power of the gospel. And we see that in verse 20. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And what do you wish? Rhetorical question. Shall I come to you with a rod or a spirit of love and gentleness? With love and a spirit of gentleness. Man, so lastly... This, too, should be a mark of a church that is led by pastors and leaders who see their people with such a fatherly affection. It is in this love, this transforming love, that traces back from Paul directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the resolution to these division issues. It is the key to our unity. The division issues are solved when your identity is placed in Jesus Christ. The division issues are solved when your identity is placed in the person of Jesus Christ. This is the... Man, it's when when you're hit at the very core of who you are as a person that you find your worth in the fact that Jesus paid it all for you on that cross. And this is the power of his transforming love for you. When your identity is placed in Christ and you are confronted with the reality of your sin, you are no longer ashamed because in Christ, your sin no longer defines who you are. It's the perfect blood of Jesus that says who you are. This is what justifies you and welcomes you into the family of God. And there is no better place to be. Because your identity is placed in Christ, you can now look your difficulties and your wounds right in the face. And you can endure. Because these wounds do not have the final say. 
man, and ultimately because God has shown that he is for you in Jesus Christ. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And since your identity is no longer in yourself, but in Christ, we then enjoy lead others to live lives in this same identity. We invest in others with the love given to us by Christ. We give to them so that they too may place their identities in Christ. Like a good father, he has given us shepherds and pastors with hearts after his own heart to build us up and lead us. So actually, if you would, just just bring up that last. Um, after, after Paul uh, gives the qualifications for, for these pastors and deacons in his first letter to Timothy, he then gives them a confession. And it's really the essence of how we're transformed in godliness. And he, said, he writes, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the, in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nation, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And actually today, um, I want to lead us in this confession as we end. So if you would, we'll start it at he was manifested in the flesh. And would you... Would you Proclaim this confession with me together. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations. This is our hope. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have so graciously given us people after your own heart to, to help us, to, to shape us, that we may imitate. Um, Father, I ask that you would give them and us a readiness to confront sin, that we would have, Lord, just a readiness to endure what may come next in, in our lives here and and that we would see the power of your gospel go forth. We pray this through the blood of Jesus. Amen.